Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Front and Nationwide podcast. This is Aaron Portstein with The Athletic. You can probably hear the background noise here, the din of uh, LAX, busy as always. I tried to find an open gate to do this podcast, and this uh, Earth Cafe and Bar is the best I can do. Uh, this is The Athletic's dedicated Blue Jackets podcast, uh, joined today by Allison Lucan. Say hello, Allison. Hello. And I know we promised this for weeks, but the man himself is back. Tom Reed, are you there? I am here. Oh, 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 listen to that. The band is all together, a three-piece harmony today. Uh, Blue Jackets played in San Jose last night, played well in San Jose last night. Uh, They are off today in sunny Southern California. Tomorrow they've got the Kings at Staples Center. On Sunday they've got the Ducks at Honda Center. And then they fly home on Monday. So far this this California trip's off to a good start. Uh, The Blue Jackets won last night in San Jose for the fourth time in five games. That's just something that didn't didn't seem possible uh, in the early years of this franchise where uh, the Sharks just waylaid the Blue Jackets uh, every time they dared step foot in that arena. Uh, Much to get to here. I I don't know what the hell to expect from this team from one night to the next. And I'd like to scratch at that with you guys for a little bit here. I kind of expected them to play hard last night. I think there's a ton of stuff they can do better than they did last night at San Jose. But they put forth the sort of performance that you expect from this team or you you have come to expect from this team. But there's still something about this team where you're not quite sure which team is going to show up. And there are many different ways to quantify that. Uh, Just speaking specifically about last night, they had production – from beneath, below, if you will, the number one line. Uh, that's one of the, I think, the only time this year they've won where Panarin, Dubois, and Atkinson didn't produce uh, any offense. Uh, the second line w- was very productive. Uh, they had some some uh, key goals, obviously, by Felino and Jones. Uh, the third line kicked in. The defense kicked in. And Sergei Bobrovsky was really, really good for the first time this year, a sustained 60 minutes of really good for him, especially in the third period. 
so what do we make of this this team? I've got some theories, but I want to hear from you guys first. Uh, Allison, do you know what to expect from this manic depressive team that we this should say manic team we cover um, from night to night, uh, game to game? Where are you at with these guys? Yeah, uh, the the short answer is is not yet. No, um, I don't, and I think that this is perhaps the strongest we've seen expressed Torts's concerns about consistency <laughs> with this group. Um, and and I, th- I think I mentioned this last night as well, but, you know, the way that they played last night was a little too far away from the amount of skill I think they need. It worked okay. for them, but I think that to sustain and to win, you can't shoot as little as they did. You can't have offensive production as little as they did in terms of what they were generating. So I don't know what to create. I don't know what to expect. And I I don't know that they have found the true way they need to play game in and game out for the rest of the season. Yeah. They spent a lot of time defending last night, especially in the third period. Um, I think their, their shot totals at that point were fairly ballpark where you'd want them to be. And then it fell off the face of the earth. They got super defensive. But, I mean, look, they lose at home to Arizona. Not a good enough performance. Uh, they lost at home to Carolina early in the season. It was the home opener. Not not a good enough performance there. They looked uh, awful, frankly, in the first period against Detroit uh, when, when last we saw them in Nationwide Arena. They're all over the map. I've got a theory about this. I'm writing about this for the athletic uh, site later today. It just and I, it's a really hard thing to sort of quantify. But the the way I, I've kind of boiled it down here is it, I I don't know that I've ever seen a team and it, it's it, there's no like hard line when this started, but a, a team that ranges so quickly from from fragility from from guys being caught up and and not being able to just calm down and play so quickly to arrogance and being comfortable and just expecting that things are going to be okay. I've never seen a team sort of oscillate so quickly between those really wide range of, of places to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Tom, does this, do you know what I'm saying? Cause I think it, it's so long ago to hold this team responsible for the O and seven start, but it was a lot of the O and eight start, but it was a lot of the same guys where they just couldn't figure anything out. And they panicked and they looked uh, paralyzed by themselves. But we see it time and time again where when they have a good game, they come back the next night where they think they've got it all figured out and the, the performance and the pace and the effort just isn't there. No, I, I would I would go along with that. I would also add, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You, 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 they've had some really good, they've had some good games. I thought last night was good, especially Bob. And they've had nights again, like the one in Detroit, the game in Detroit. You just, where did that come from? I think part yeah. of it too is, and this is just maybe part and parcel of the schedule every year. I think they played two games in the division so far. And Carolina, I, I, I'm sorry, I still don't even consider them in the division, even though they are. I think they, <laughs> okay. you got to start getting games against Washington and New York and Pittsburgh and those types. Maybe give a little bit of consistency. And this schedule has just been. Oh, Arizona. Oh, you know, whatever. It's, you know, some of these games just, and Detroit does not, Detroit just doesn't feel like a big game anymore. No. Uh, just because they're so poor. I wonder once they kind of get into the meat of their schedule, um, 
with games of, of, of teams that they play a lot, teams they face in the playoffs, better teams, the games against Toronto coming up. And don't forget we had that, that first couple games and they were off for four or five days. I think they just need to get going and start playing against teams they're familiar with. Maybe that'll kind of start these guys in getting a little more consistent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so uh, forgiving, to be honest with you. Because I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I, like I buy that, I buy that to a point. But a good team should still be able to hold serve against Arizona and Detroit at home. Like you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I just, it, uh, I, I think there is, and I don't know if it's because there are players on this team. I think of Milano's. I think of Bjorkstrand's, where the kind of style that that they're looking for does not come naturally to them. I think there are more guys like that than maybe we realize. I don't know that that style of play comes naturally, frankly, to anybody anymore in the NHL. But I wonder if the ask is too much for some guys every night. Like, yeah, uh, Bjorkstrand looked great against St. Louis. He looked good against St. Louis. Not, I don't want to get carried away here. He looked good against St. Louis in the way he was engaged. But he can't play that way 82 games a year. He's going to get hurt. I just wonder if, if there's something in there with this group that's not entirely a fit, which which uh, teams evolve as they go along. But, Allison, do you, do you think there's anything with that, like they're trying to put uh, square pegs into round holes? Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm kind of with you on, on the initial point, too. I think that if you're a great team, you get yourself up for competitions. You don't have to look to the level of your competition or, or your schedule to, to find that gear. Um, I'd like to see this team play like they want to play regardless of – of where they are in the schedule or who's, who's on the, I mean, if anything, dominate these games now when you're rested and it's, it's an easy opponent because it's points in the bank, right? Um, Double the points. Yes. I, I I do. We talked about this a little last year and um, everyone obviously knows that, that I follow the analytical gear of thinking, but this is a tenuous time for what this team is all about. And we talked about it last year when Panarin came in and, the group really didn't know what to do with him, right? And it's about yeah. you're transitioning from grit and blue collar to elite skill, ideally. And, I mean, look at how Toronto is built. Look at, you know, some of the teams that – look at Ovechkin. Look at the Capitals, too. Sure. You know, it's – Sure. This team is, in a way – and we focus on them, so maybe I'm overstating this – but they're a microcosm for some of the transitions that are happening in the way hockey is played. And I think we see it in all the examples you just gave. And it, it is hard. It's hard to find where they are in the progression and find the players who can play that way and continue to progress as they progress. Well, let me ask you this, Allison. When you see this team, I think of the uh, highs, the really good games that they've played. I think they were pretty good against – were they pretty good against Philly here at home? Um, decent against St. Louis. And then, you know, big time back to, to Detroit. Is that result fluctuation or is that performance fluctuation? In other words, when you look at the, as you are wont to do, look at the underlying numbers. Are those changing dramatically from game to game? Distance of shot, possession time, all of these things. Or is it just the result that's changing? Well, I mean, there like there are some underlying numbers that are changing. And I'll, <laughs> this is why... and. and Porty was probably trying to keep from telling me to shut up after the game last night, but this is, I kept harping on 
last night. Last night was their lowest controlled shot share of any game this season. By the time that game was over, they had 31% of the shots. And yeah, yeah, those guys came on hard in the third. But here's the thing. They were playing hard. They were hitting. So you saw energy. But the thing is, if you're not shooting and you're giving your opponent all the shots, that's a dangerous game. (laughs) There's a a reason Bob looked so good because he had to work a lot last night, particularly in the third. And Bob was good, but there were lots of whiffs. Yeah. And there were lots that puck was around the, the goal mouth uh, a lot last night. Yes. But but even with this, like the effort and energy level of that game last night, the numbers weren't there necessarily other than the final score. But you'll take that. Like you'll take that performance over how they played against Detroit any day of the week. Not sure. just the result, I think. For sure. Anyways. Um, so here, uh, Blue Jackets, one game in on this trip. Brandon Dubinsky is on the trip. He is skating. He is taking contact. Um, it, he said a week or so ago that he'd be disappointed if he didn't play on this trip. Of course, he could be disappointed. Uh, and maybe if things are going well, they decide to give him extra days to, to really get over the hump. Uh, a slightly torn quadricep. Uh, oh, no. What, what's Oblique. The... Oblique. Oblique, yes. I'm a little south of the body there. Uh, a partially torn oblique. Um, so maybe you give him an extra day to get over that or an extra few days, but he could play here in LA. He could play in Anaheim, uh, either of those two days, something to keep an eye on. Otherwise these guys are ticking along seemingly pretty healthy right now. They made some substantial changes to the power play. Only saw one power play last night. So really not much time uh, to evaluate it, but, but in case you didn't see Zach Wierenski is now on the top power play with, Seth Jones and the early show last night had Wierenski on the left half wall, uh, Jones on the point. And the other bit of news with those power plays is that declares off the power play and Wenberg is off the power play. So I think the one area that they really struggled with is that half wall, uh, getting guys to do the half wall they want. But that, my God, that power play is an abomination at this point. And it's been going on for a long time, and that's really something they need to get fixed. Because that, that Detroit game hung out there for a while, and the power play would have been huge in that game. Uh, it slid away from them. Uh, Tom just got back from a rather exotic trip, wrote one hell of a story about Elvis Merzlikens, the Blue Jackets prospect goaltender. Uh, I'm sure most of the people listening to this have read uh, that story. Tom, tell us about your trip. Uh, anything from Merzlikens that you weren't able to get into the story and just give us an over overview of what you think of this kid and how intrigued you are to see what the next two years are hold. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, even intriguing for the next couple months, right? You know, as we know, the European game ends a little earlier season ends a little bit earlier. I think, uh, you know, we'll see where, you know, when they get done with their season, you know, if, if the Blue Jackets try to get him over here, I think uh, even if it's not here, maybe in, in, in Cleveland, if that's possible, um, it'll be interesting to see if they can swing that. I, and I asked him point blank that, like, because he, what's interesting about him is he's not like a young kid. He's 24. Right. Uh, he decided to stay an extra three years. Uh, so he is 24 years old. And there, There's a, some thinking that, He's not going to want to come here and play in the minors. 
Well, he, I think he's more than willing to maybe come over here at the end of the year if, if that's going to be the case. And he yeah. would, you know, I think it would benefit him to get a few games in Cleveland at the end of the season just to get used to playing in North America. But I get a strong sure. sense that he's he's ready to make this jump. If not now, when, right? I mean, the, the, right. The, part of it, his, his point is, look, I've really matured the last couple of years. I don't think I was ready. Okay, that's great. But the other part of it is you really gave yourself a little, a little less margin for error as far as the time that you can run up in North sure. America to get ready yeah, to play, yeah. right? Absolutely. So I, it'll be really interesting to see if he does come over at the end of the year, uh, if they can get him some games, and then if they can get him into the uh, into the lineup next year. Of course, all of the intrigue is what's going to happen with Bob. Is Bob going to be yeah, here next year? What about year? Bob? And, and what's going to happen with Eunice Corpusalo? If they're both here, then who knows, you know, maybe they end up, someone ends up getting traded. But he's excited, I think. Uh, I think he's excited. I think he really wants the opportunity to come over here and play. He doesn't get to watch them very much, but he follows them. He likes the fact it's a young team um, and is, is uh, really, uh, I think, really kind of committed to, to making the move when the time comes here at the end of the year. Tom, John Tortorella is always looking for characters. <laughs> yeah. He's always begging for characters. He's always begging for guys to play hurt, not too hurt, but flavor in the game, a little spice, a little uh, attitude. And um, where you th- you've been closer to Elvis than any of the, the people on this phone call right now, certainly. I don't think you pretend to know the man. But you've got a pretty good read on him uh, compared to with most media in the in the um, West. What? To, where do you think this might go with him? I mean, is this because you and I have joked about this? This he, he, Tortorella could either absolutely love this kid, oh, or there could be massive fireworks. Um, <laughs> I sense from your stuff and from other people, he's toned it down. But how do you think that relationship works? If you can look ahead into your crystal ball. Yeah, I think the one thing, the, the thing that will help him, at least in the beginning, two things that will help him. Uh, number one, from all accounts, uh, talking to players, talking to coaches over there, the kid works his ass off. He's a really hard worker. What issues he's had in the past, as far as maturity, uh, is not for he's showing up late. Uh, he's not putting the work in. Uh, yeah. It's It's been more of like, okay, I got this figured out now. And then he doesn't. He misses steps. And I remember Hitchcock, Hitchcock, it always runs through my mind about you can't miss steps. You can't skip yeah. steps. And I think Elvis was doing that earlier in his career. As far And then there was the whole showmanship, which I think I got a sense maybe maybe not that as much. But I think Elvis, when, when things would go bad, and he'd let in goals. He was one of those guys that kind of glared at teammates and yeah. like, hey, this wasn't my fault. And you know that doesn't go well in the locker room. I get a sense that that's been cleaned up a little bit. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And he's an extremely, extremely uh, intense player. Um, you, you probably saw the quote last year, uh, Bob Hartley saying that he's probably one of the most intense goalies he's been around other than Patrick Waugh. <laughs> I was going to say. You, you, think you, have that that. And yeah. you, have, you, you have that and then you have torts. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if he does come over here again. I I did. And this is where I do agree with him 
and his goaltending coach, Michael Lawrence, that he probably did benefit by staying over. He may not have been mentally ready a couple years ago. Um, I was asking Michael Lawrence this. I said, I don't see, well, in the two games that I watched him live, you see, you used to see the highlights of him making these saves and just celebrating and everything. I didn't see that right. at all. And I asked him, I asked him, Michael, is, did I, am I missing something? He goes, no, he's really kind of dialed it back. So I think that's, those are all good signs. I think, Aaron, the, the biggest question will be, once he does get over here, and like any young goaltender, they're going to have bad nights. How sure. can he? How does he handle that? And I right. think that will be the big issue because I think the talent's there. I think the talent has been there. It's just a matter of can he make a transition to the most elite league in the world. Yeah. Uh, Tom, do me a favor. Hey, don't mention Bob Hartley around John Tortorella. <laughs> <laughs> or if yeah, you do, uh, yeah, if I, you do at the end of a, at, at the end of the press conference. Yeah, yeah, I, I will yeah. not. I, I will not bring that up. <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. Uh, Allison, two games left on this trip. You're going to be out here for both of them as well. These are two teams, these Kings and these Ducks, that have sort of uh, sputtered and, and uh, kicked a little bit here. What do you see from these two teams? What's a good rest of the trip for the Blue Jackets to wrap it up here? Well, I think, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think that this Jackets team has to show that they don't let – what these two teams look like right now, which is struggling squads, yes. lull them into thinking that either game is going to be easy. Uh, yeah. They need to come out. They need to be strong from the get-go. Uh, Jonathan Quick is out, so we need, to, you know, the team needs to not think that they're just going to be able to score at will. Um, right. To use the cliche, they need to play a full 60 the right way. But as I mentioned, I would like to see a little bit more offensive intensity and not just the defensive intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this too. And we get asked this all the time. Do you think the Panarin and the Bobrovsky stuff is affecting uh, the, the blue jackets play? I don't think it, I haven't sensed that. I really have not sensed. And you know, the, we, we see a very small aspect of the room. I think it's really reckless for people to, in our position to describe the room or say how the room works, because you really don't know. You just don't. Um, but I don't get a sense that people are preoccupied with what's going to happen with Panarin and Bobrovsky. I think it's going to really crank up around the, the trade deadline, but I don't think that's at the root of their up-and-down play. Honestly, I think their up-and-down play was as evident last year as it is this year, and that uh, none of that was an issue back then. Am I right there, Allison? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, the little read I would have would never claim to think I know what the room does, but I don't think that it's an issue there. I do think they're a little more up and down than last year, at least in this early start. Um, but I, but I don't attribute it in any way to the situation of those two players. I mean, look, last year they were wondering when Josh Anderson was going to come in, right? So, uh, I think they're a little bit more inconsistent this year, but I, I, again, in my guesstimation, I would not attribute it to that at all. I just, it just seems to me, and maybe Tom, you can agree or disagree with this. It just seems like last year, it felt like it feels right now, like for two and a half, three months before they finally sort of found a gear. Do you, they didn't do you find a gear. That? Trade deadline, did? I mean, True. you didn't think about it. True. They, they. they they kind of went through this this all of last season 
And yeah. Although it may have been more of last year, they just couldn't score goals, right? They had the, so many of their key players uh, were really in slump for, gosh, it seemed like three or four months yeah. before they Power finally got awful. it going. Um, other than Panarin, Panarin carried them, and 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 Dubois kind of kind of came into the fight, and then at the end of the season. If you, you know, it was Atkinson coming into the Cavalry, uh, and they were able to get it across the line into the playoffs. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think you guys were right. I, they've been inconsistent, and uh, they're three points from the top of the Eastern Conference. So, it's early. We'll see where I, it goes. I just, I think it's a team that, that at its core believes everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Thinks they're a good team and everything's going to be okay. Um, and that, I hey, think they're good. I don't think... I don't think they're that good. You know what I mean? I don't think they're I don't think they're that freaking talented. Pittsburgh can think everything's gonna be okay. There's a long history of things being okay with that group. Um, not so much here. So that's where it's at. It's uh, Friday in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening to this front nationwide. Is this this would be number nineteen, would it not? Oh boy. Oh boy, you caught me off guard. I have to look what? now, Porty. I'm sorry. It's I named them after the fact here. This is but, Podcast Joey, isn't it? <laughs> this is uh this is Podcast Joey. Thank you. <laughs> we'll do a uh, podcast Riley Nash or Brandon Sod, however you wish. Oh. On uh, Tuesday, back from back in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, for Tom Reed, for Allison Lucan, this is Aaron Portsign saying thanks for listening, thanks for subscribing to the Athletic, and we will talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.